Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today we're in Flintshire in the UK visiting a library that once belonged to a Prime Minister of Britain. I'm speaking with Peter Francis who is the Warden and Director of Gladstone's Library in Harden in Flintshire which is a few miles west of Chester, a beautiful part of the world. The Gladstone we are talking about is William Ewart Gladstone, whose political career lasted more than 60 years. He served four separate terms as Prime Minister between 1868 and 1894. Gladstone's library is the UK's only residential library. Yes, you can stay the night in the building and we're going to learn some more about this remarkable place. Welcome, Peter. Thank you, Richard. Very nice to speak with you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, My first question is, what exactly is a residential library? Well, it's easy, really. There are 240,000 books and journals at one end and 24 bedrooms at the other. And it's uh, it's hard to make it more complicated than that. Um, so you, you live and sleep in, in the library. We have a um, comfortable sort of sitting room with leather armchairs, a roaring fire and so on. And we have a good restaurant and we have two large reading rooms, one of which is full of Gladstone's books and the other is full of books that we've added after Gladstone. And uh, people come and stay, perhaps for a weekend or a week or even longer if they've got a big project on and they like the silence of the library. It's a rare thing nowadays, very silent libraries. And uh, and they use it and we're very full. We have 24 bedrooms and we have way over 90% occupancy. It's it used to be a hidden gem, but rather a lot of people have discovered it now, so um, it's less hidden, but uh, I'm still very glad that it's it's well used and people enjoy it. It sounds almost idyllic for someone who is a bibliophile. It is, yes. Um, and, uh, you know, some so quite a lot of bibliophiles just come to, to sort of see it because it's uh, an oddity. It's the only... Um, it's the only uh, residential library in the UK, and it's u- unique in being a prime ministerial library as well. Um, it was the sort of template for American presidential libraries. So we have, as well as Gladstone's books, we have his private papers and so on. Okay, so can you explain how the library was created? Yes, um, Gladstone read a huge number of books. Um, if you top them up, and I have made an intern do this before now, because he always listed them in his diary, and it comes to over 22,000, which is sort of a book a day when you're compass mentis. Um, and uh, it, when he was getting to the end of it, and he owned many more books than the 22,000 that he actually read, and, and when he was getting towards the end of his life, I, I think his family were really anxious what was going to happen to all his books. And he'd always been very involved with libraries. He'd been uh, one of the founding trustees of the London Library, and he'd opened a huge number of reading rooms and libraries, both in London and in this area around Liverpool and Chester and North Wales. And so sort of building a library around his books was, 
very natural to him. And so in about 1894, the first library was opened, which was just a sort of corrugated iron hut, which um, he erected um, on some land he bought from the church, and he put that up. And at the same time, he bought an adjacent house to this hut that he directed, and uh, that was the first of his residential libraries, as it were. And this building, the present building, was built as the National Memorial to Gladstone um, after his death, and it brought the two bits together, the library and the residence, all in one building now, which makes it much easier. And it was opened as the National Memorial in 1902. So that very first library in a hut, was that open to the public? It was open to the public, but it it was... um, I mean, it wasn't huge, but it, uh, it, it, he opened it to sort of the bright young things of the neighborhood and to um, visitors and so on enough. I mean, it was a very small residence that he had. I think they only took four or five people. So, you know, it, it was fairly limited use. And I think he always thought that it would be turned into something slightly other. And it was just the sort of prototype. Now, what, what subject matter does Gladstone's library cover? Well, there's a fair amount of history and politics, as um, you would imagine, but there's also religion, because um, in his early life he thought he would become an Anglican clergyman. And there's uh, there's a lot of literature. In fact, the largest bit is literature, both classical and contemporary to him. Um, And so that's what we continue covering today. We continue to buy in religion, literature, and history and politics and so it's the same as Gladstone envisaged um, and uh, you know it, it's sort of we, we, we try to be true to his spirit it, it for a while it, it was rather dominated by the church and it was used as a sort of residential place to train some Anglican clergy for a little bit of its life after the war in fact and um, after the Second World War and uh, it's really um, only since the sort of 80s that it's come back to being what it was intended to be, which is a place of of learning, a place of um, where you could come in, you could read, and not only read, but other people would be staying, so you would sort of browse their interests as well. And the whole idea was to be hospitable and relaxed, so you would, you would set Uh, start up friendships and discussions with the other people who are staying and that happens today i mean it's uh, that's the sort of magic of it really so our tables in our restaurant are large tables so you naturally go and sit down with other people um you can be on your own if you want to but you can sort of sit down with other people and start discussions and and chatting and it's uh it's really a sort of unique atmosphere that it manages to foster i think so, so you've expanded the collection beyond Gladstone's personal collection. Oh yes, yep, yep, here we have. Um, so it's gone from the twenty-two thousand of Gladstone's to about uh, two hundred forty thousand. Okay. Today. So perhaps Peter, you can give me uh, a clue about some of the rarest or most eye-catching books in the library. Yeah, there's a there's an edition of St John's Gospel by Mary Tudor, which I suppose is perhaps the most valuable but actually um, what makes it really 
rare and special are that on the shelves are Gladstone's books. And he annotated them, or he annotated a good number of them. Of the 22,000, about 12,000 have his annotations in. And sometimes, you know, they're, they're really very moving. There's a biography of Wilberforce in which Gladstone scrolled at the end of it. Um, I breakfasted with Mr. Wilberforce four days before he died. He asked after my father and my dear mother, and his, his voice was as one that was cheerful, resigned, and ready to be released. And things like that, and you come across them, or, or indeed a, a biography of Disraeli in which Gradston scrawled in very large letters across one page, untrue, 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 and uh, all these little things, and then little r- remarks in the beginning and the end, <clears throat> and underlinings and marks in the margin. So and people just love coming across those. The Disraeli book must be fun, because wasn't Disraeli Gladstone's uh, political arch opponent enemy, for, ye- yeah. Arch enemy, yeah, for yeah. years and years and years? Yeah, yes. He was the sheriff of Nottingham to the Gladstone's Robin Hood, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in a way. Um, so now the library building itself, it, it's part of a larger estate. Is that correct? Perhaps you can describe what it, what it, it is. <coughs> it's not quite true. The village of Harden, which is a fairly small village um, on just outside Chester, just in North Wales, um, the village has um, the house where the Gladstone family still live. It has the church where he worshipped and has um, various houses belonging to the estate and a lot of new houses, and it has also in the village Gladstone's Library, but it's not, we're entirely independent, we're a, a, a charity, a not-for-profit, um, and uh, the Gladstone family are, a couple of them are trustees, but um, they needn't be as if, only if they're sort of interested, you know, we, we like to have them, but um, it is entirely independent and um, and separate from Harden Castle, where the family lived, and uh, but very much part of the of of the village right okay um so who indeed comes and uses the library well um i suppose all people who you would expect with that subject matter as well as just people longing to find space to read or to write our biggest group of people who come are writers novelists and poets um, because, um, or or aspiring novelists and poets as well, um, and because actually it's very difficult to find space and time to to sit down and to write with no no other things getting in your way, and you don't have to worry about food that's laid on for you. You don't, you know, you everything is there, and you can simply devote yourself to to writing or or whatever. And um, and so they they're our biggest group. And then um, the other thing that we we have are, are quite a lot of young people from the local community who are doing their sort of final exams at school before going off to university. They find it a very good silent place to to do their revision and so on. And then there are a good number of theologians, historians, politicians. All of those come. Um, and some people come just for a rest to see what we're about and um, to nose around the library and t- 
take a book off the shelf and so on. It sounds like a lovely mix of people. Yes, it is. I mean, I think one of our our biggest successes of recent years is the starting of a writer-in-residence scheme, which um, which we do, and we have at least four, usually six, um, writers-in-residence each year. They're, they are very typically um, people probably on their sort of second novel, I would think. You have to have been published, you have to, or, or have a contract to be published. And we've had some some great successes of sort of contemporary British novelists. It's only been going nine years. We celebrate ten years next year. And um, we've had uh, some good names like Naomi Alderman, Sarah Perry, and so on came in the early years of it. And, and uh, it, it's, it's done very well. And I think that, above all else, has put us on the map with, with writers that, um, you know, I get a great kick of going into the bookshop in... in um, in Chester or in London and, and browsing around it and seeing the number of um, acknowledgements to Gladstone's library in the, in, the, in, the, in the novels and poetry. I think that's, it's, it pleases me enormously to be able to do that. So the bedrooms are adjacent to the, the, the library shelves? Mm-hmm. Yes, they are. I mean, it's, uh, there's a one wing, which is the... Um, which is the library in the, in the sense in the middle are the sort of administrative bits and on the other wing are the bedrooms. They're, they're very simple. There are no televisions in the rooms. There are nice um, nice sort of retro um, wire, uh, radios in, in the rooms and they all have a desk. They have nice angle poised lamps and, uh, and they are en suite so you have your facilities there um, and it's they're, they're very comfortable but they're designed to also like the rest of the place to let you get on and work if you want to lovely um so i have to wonder how how have you managed since um since march since covid started affecting well everything really well it's been pretty grim actually because um, we shut on i think the 23rd of march um the British government have a furlough scheme that allowed us to put people on furlough and um, they paid um, most of the, the salaries and that was fine but as it the scheme went on um, we we had to begin to pay more and more to, to sort of use the scheme which is was how the government was sort of weaning us off it and we found that we simply um, couldn't manage that so reluctantly but necessarily to protect the future of the building we had to make 29 staff redundant which is very grim indeed but I very much hope we'll be getting them back again in spring 2021 which is when we hope to reopen um, and that, that was um, I've been here quite a long time in 23 years and that's probably the hardest uh, period of, of my life here and it, it uh, was difficult to to do but I hope we, we did it with a a sort of decency and helped people as much as possible. Certainly, I'm, I'm pleased to see that, you know, I, I write a lot of references for them at the moment, so I think they're probably getting jobs, some of them, and um, we will just have to start again. There are just five of us remaining on the staff now, and uh, we've never worked so hard, really. But um, but it, it's, it's, um, it's, uh, it was a very shocking and, and worrying thing to have to do. I, I can 
well understand. So what have you turned your attention to during this summer when you, you've had no guests? Well, um, we've, we did have two sort of building projects, which um, the money was sort of earmarked and, and only given for building projects, but we persuade those donors to allow us to use it to do some repairs for the, on the library and, um, and to, um, to do various improvements, more, more toilets and things like that, which, uh, you know, we, we could have done with, but we were never closed for long enough to, to do those sort of things. So we've tried to turn the crisis into a, a bit of an opportunity as well. And that, that's, um, that's starting sort of in the next few weeks. So we hope that would, that will help. And we also had a, a distraction, um, like many places really, that um, we suddenly appeared on the, the anti-fascist um, website, on an anti-fascist website, saying um, that uh, Gladstone's statue, which sits in our grounds, is um, should be toppled because of um, his father's involvement with the slave trade, with uh, slave being a slave owner. Um, he was a Liverpool merchant, and like many people who made their money in Liverpool, had dealings with um, slave plantations and so on. Um, and uh, and and we we had a date and a time for the statue to be toppled. In fact, nothing happened in the end. Just a lot of people turned up to defend it. But um, it did alert us to feeling we must do more in the way of um, responding to Black Lives Matter. And we're going to, um, when we reopen again, or before we reopen, we're going to try and do... Um, much more in the way of um, looking at our our collection and the sort of colonial history that we have within it and making a sort of um, a special bibliography of all that. We're thinking of adding some new books as well to, to, um, to balance it. And we're thinking of um, trying to make it... We have a fairly diverse board as it is, but we thought we should make it even more diverse. And we are trying to also, around the statue, erect some plaques and so on, so that you can read some background about Gladstone and his speeches um, against slavery and so on. Um, so that would—that's uh, how we're trying to respond to it. But it was—it um, was a distraction that we hadn't necessarily expected. But um, you know, we're, we're very pro the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, as I think Gladstone would be if he was alive now. I mean, he was he was a progressive, to be frank, and you know he would have been pushing that at that particular door. I, I'm sure. So that's um, that's so, how we've been spending our time. So, with all your connections to history, you would like to show a different, or you would like to show history in context. Yes, I think that's right. So show it in context and also, I mean, you know, we, we not only have books, about, I mean, our, our collection isn't, the Gladstone stuff might be mainly 19th century, but we're very concerned with collecting stuff on contemporary, on the contemporary world and, and ranging courses. I should have mentioned that we often have courses and lectures and so on that we put on. 
um, and we will obviously, in the light of this, I mean, we we will be addressing these issues as much as we can, um, both online and and also um, with courses and lectures and so on. Okay, yeah, I I can understand that. It's um, anything to do with Victorian England and statesmen. There's probably going to be some sort it's of going to be colonial. It's going to be tainted, isn't it? Yes, yep. yes. Yeah, it, I know. It touched probably everything yeah. in the in Britain at that time. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. One last question, Peter, which we ask all our guests, and that is, what book or books are you currently reading? I just finished a book called Damascus by Christos Scholkas, who the guy who wrote The Slap, I think. It, it, I quite enjoyed it, but I, I'm now on to Just Us by Claudia Rankine and The Tyranny of Merit I'm Dipping In and Out Of by Michael Sandel and just yesterday arrived on my desk um, Rage by Bob Woodward, which is my guilty secret. I I read little snippets of it to keep me going through the day and I sort of a flabbergasted <laughs> things Trump says to Woodward um, and it uh, it cheers me up and depresses me at the same time <laughs> <laughs> yeah didn't he have 19 interviews or something something like that yes and, and Trump seems hugely sort of flattered to have been interviewed by him and so keeps on saying things that were sort of you would have thought were top secret or <laughs> you shouldn't be saying you know it, it, it's um, it's quite extraordinary um, but riveting uh, a riveting book on what has been a quite extraordinary period of um, US history so so do you like to uh, read about modern politics yes i do I'm, I'm quite a sort of political animal that's um, and do you find yourself so I, bringing it back to to gladstone with politics 150 years ago? Well, people often ask me, and this is a very, if you were anything of a historian, you'd hate this, but people quite often ask me, what would Gladstone say about such and such? Of course, we don't know, and but I'm, I'm forever um, having to write little pieces about what Gladstone would say about this, that, and the next thing. And so I do sort of relate um, contemporary um issues and so on to back to Gladstone quite often yeah so you, you must have read every biography of the man that's been written surely um no I haven't I mean I'm not a Gladstone expert to be honest I mean I've sort of picked it up um, I didn't do him at school actually I did the Tudors endlessly so you okay. know it was a sort of new thing for me so it's it was being picked up in my 23 years here and yes, I've read a good number of biographies. I, the one I, I enjoy most is the one which was the earliest, was written by Morley, his secretary and fellow parliamentarian and so on, and a close friend of his. And I find that's the most sort of riveting, of full of anecdotes and, and of interest. And I, thought, I find that the one I go back to most often. All right, okay. Yeah. That's all we have time for this week. Uh, I want to say many thanks to Peter Francis, who is the warden and director of Gladstone's Library in Harden in Flintshire. Thank you very much, Richard. Thank you so nice much to for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay. Uh, you can learn you. learn more about the library and its accommodation by visiting uh, gladstoneslibrary.org.
Thanks for listening. I'm Richard Davis, and you've been listening to an Abe Books podcast, and we'll see you all again soon.